You're listening to audio from Grace Matters, a ministry of Grace Community Church in Andrew, North Carolina. This particular panel features Neil Manning as moderator and several guests who will discuss orphan care, foster care, and adoption. Every year, hundreds of thousands, even millions of children engage in the struggle for life, whether it is the struggle to see their birthday to find stability in the foster care system or struggle to find support to live day by day deprived of one or both parents. The church has a lot to say and do for the care of children who come from hard places. In fact, historically, the church has led the way caring for orphans. The apostles laid the foundation for the church's belief and practice in that area. James writes that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. More than merely a works-oriented or social gospel, Paul reminds us that the theological underpinning for, for our actions, to the church in Rome he wrote, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is because of the love by which God adopts us as his children, that his children, the church, can care for the widow and the orphan. Good evening and welcome to Grace Matters, where with grace we discuss matters of importance and relevance for the church. Tonight we're talking about some points along a spectrum of orphan care, fostering, adoption, and ways to support children in hard places and the families who care for them. Before I introduce our panel, why don't you pray with me? Father God, thank you for allowing us to call you Father, that indeed you have adopted us in Christ as your very own children. I pray that uh, the conversation that we have tonight would be honoring to you, it would be edifying for all who hear, and that it would equip us uh, for, to answer every call that you, you call upon us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So tonight we have with us Jessica Huey from River Cross Ministry, Donna's Kenton from Amazing Grace Adoptions and Orphan Care, and Stephen Eisenberg, one of the deacons here at Grace. So Jessica, I want to start with you, and if you could just give a brief introduction of who you are and maybe how you got connected with caring for children in hard places. Yes, I'd love to. So I am a teacher by trade. I um, taught kindergarten and first grade for almost 10 years until I had my daughter um, biologically about three and a half years ago. And during my summers as a teacher, I had a really lovely two and a half months off here with a traditional calendar school. And I chose to use that time to do teaching respite and short-term missions with children in vulnerable areas. And that took me all over the globe and just showed me God's heart for the children of the world. And after having my daughter, I just felt God was still pulling me in that direction. And I wasn't sure how to balance the two of stay-at-home mom and care for the orphan worldwide. And I was introduced to our executive director, Cindy Finley, 
and she used the term kitchen table abolitionist. And I said, praise the Lord. That's exactly who I am. I want to serve in this capacity, but I also feel that my main service is to my child at home. And through Rivercross, I have developed a curriculum that can, coincides with our radio dramas, which I'll speak to more later, um, and traveled to Zambia and other areas of Africa to train facilitators who are working with vulnerable children in those areas to aid with issues such as sexual abuse, exploitation, and child soldiers, HIV AIDS, um, just various traumas. And our aim is to just show caregivers and children who have been exposed to these traumas that their hope is found in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad you're here tonight. Donis, you were just with us a few weeks ago at our missions fair. For those who don't know you, uh, can you introduce yourself and how you got connected with caring for children and families? Sure. Um, so I'm Donna's Kenton, and I am the founder and executive director of Amazing Grace Adoptions and Orphan Care. And, oh, wow, it's such a long story, but um, through a series of circumstances and being uh, called kind of back to work with pregnant women in Wake County uh, in, I guess, the early 90s, uh, there was just a lot of pregnant women uh, who, uh, can, you know, had multiple children, and their, our infant mortality rate was not, it was not great. We were one of the highest in the United States. So through that work, um, I did that for a season, saw the needs in our own county, and then um, went back home for a while uh, with our third daughter, and in, I guess, the late 90s was called out again, honestly, sometimes kind of kicking and screaming, like, really? I, I don't think I can do all that. Uh, but um, the Lord showed me very immediately with my first case uh, in adoption what that looked like, and that although I was a strong advocate for stay-at-home mothers and, you know, nursing your baby, car seat safety, and all the things that you advocate for when you're, you are a stay-at-home mom and you can get involved in all kinds of things, um, that was really where I was, but then you have your first client, and you knew immediately that it wasn't all the things that I thought about, but it was God's plan, and he has one for every child. He already, it says he knew us before we were formed in the womb, and so he not only knows their, um, the, you know, their beginning name, their birth name, but he also, at the end of the day, knows their, their last name. That will be, and so my call into it literally was um, just knowing that God said that I was to go ye therefore and and disciple, and really it became very clear to me that the beginning of discipleship and the earliest form of evangelism is if you can place a child into a two-parent Christian home, with the prayer that through that 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 child will be counted in the kingdom of God and that they will come to be adopted by their heavenly father. So. I know you're a busy lady, so I appreciate you being here with us this evening. Thank you. And Stephen, just in case there's someone who doesn't know you, introduce yourself and why it is you're, you're up here. 
my name is Steven Eisenberg. Uh, my better half, Michelle, could not be here because she is being mom and busing kids to dance and getting ready for uh, trick-or-treating tomorrow, so she's doing the mom deal. Um, and she doesn't want to be on stage. So, um, <laughs> as live, per last time, my goal is to not stick my foot in my mouth. However, good luck. fostering and adopting <laughs> is one of my soft spots. So, um, we got into fostering uh, and adoption due to being told medically we were not allowed to have kids. Um, and anyone who knows me, I have two beautiful biological boys, so take that medical science and go God. Um, and through all of that, um, after we had our first son, we still had it on our heart to do fostering and eventually maybe adoption. Um, so we opened our home and we had seven uh, kids come through, through fostering, and we ended up with two da daughters through adoption, which would make them nine, eight and nine, uh, and now they're permanently Eisenbergs, so. Wonderful. It is uh, it's great to hear hands-on from each of you uh, for a variety of different aspects of caring for children. And so that's kind of what we want to learn about tonight is just the various aspects that the church as a whole can care for um, the, the least of these. So Jessica, I'm going to come back to you and uh, just ask a little more about River Cross, what is it? What is it that you do? Um, what's the, the reach that the ministry has? River Cross is a global ministry, and our focus um, that we stand firm to is being a bridge to hope. Um, and we do that through telling stories. So we see biblically Jesus telling stories in order to teach lessons. And we see so many cultures that are story-centric, meaning that they learn best through a story as opposed to our Western way of thinking of reading and then writing something down. And we felt um, that we could tell a story in order to lean our friends and neighbors globally towards Jesus. And if you are familiar with our friends adventures and odyssey it's similar to that so they're radio dramas um, but the topics of conversation lean towards sexual abuse exploitation hiv aids child soldiers refugee camps and we utilize those radio dramas to hold discussion groups and train facilitators so our role is to play those dramas and then we go through a discussion guide and a curriculum in order to address three issues. So the mind first is to um, basically give knowledge about what is abuse or what is good care, what is bad care, what is grooming, just general knowledge. And then we move on to the heart piece. So how does that pertain to your own experiences and your own culture? And then third, we wrap up with a biblical response. So what does God teach us about what we've discussed today? And we do all of that using stories through radio dramas and retail of role play or song or dance or art, which really speaks to the people that we are addressing. Um, currently, we have a twofold response. One is to the caregiver. 
um, and that is through our radio dramas, Holding Esther, which are seven episodes, and those are specifically for caregivers that are in English-speaking African nations, and those address things like good care, bad care, what is grooming, what is abuse, what are triggers, how do we help children respond when they're feeling those emotions, how do we help them name those emotions, how do we help them overcome what has happened to them and realize their identity in Christ. And then our second response to all of the trauma of children is for the child specifically, and those are radio dramas called Jaboda Bridge, and those address things directly to the child so the children would be listening to the episodes and then having discussion groups with issues that pertain to them um, and how we can overcome the trauma and find hope and healing in Jesus Christ. So it sounds like two sides of the house. The, the front side is um, you're using the power of story to, to comfort the emotional needs of children, but then you're also training adults, the caregivers and even churches, in order to continue that, that ministry? Exactly. So we see that worldwide, usually children who have experienced trauma are found in places like orphanages or children's homes, and the ratio is about 26 to 1. So one caregiver for 26 children who have experienced trauma. And so instead of going directly to the children, we want layers of protection and layers of hope. So by training those caregivers who are exposed to the children, we can give them the tools and the resources they need to help guide and direct those children to Jesus while they are waiting for their families. And from what I understand, uh, the history with, with River Cross is have had or have a relationship with another ministry that we're familiar with, TWR. Can you give us a status update, a report on that relationship? That's correct. So we, um, as we were in kind of our infant um, nonprofit ministry stage, we were under the parent company of TWR, which is a major corporation in Cary, North Carolina. Um, and they are have a host of nonprofits that specifically focus on radio um, broadcasting. And as we've grown, praise the Lord, that he has just built our ministry. And we are now launched as of October 1st as our own nonprofit. So we are our own sole ministry now, which is very exciting for us to see the growth that God has done in our ministry and and just to, to look forward to where he's He's sending us in the future. And you told me also that uh, you and your family are an adopting family as well. Is that right? Yes, we are. So I told you earlier that we have a biological daughter. She's about three and a half years old. And um, just like Stephen, it was placed on our hearts before we even had our biological daughter that we were meant to adopt. That's just what God called our family to. And we felt that strongly. And then we had our daughter. And immediately following that, we thought, you know, we still feel like we're supposed to pursue this adoption. This is what God has called us to. And it's a very long and, and godly story of how he works and how he weaves our stories of our lives together to, to, that leads us to where we are today. But about three and a half years later, we we're praying deeply that our son who's about two to six, will be home from Burundi, which is Central Africa, just south of Rwanda. 
in 2020. So, wow. yeah. Wow. We'll be praying for you. Thank you. So, Donna, tell us about Amazing Grace Adoptions, its purpose and mission, and where it is now. Um, it's really, our, our focus hasn't changed at all. I think that um, our mission has always been to model the love and compassion of Christ. And to um, any the children that come our way, the mothers that come our way, and then um, from the beginning, James 127, you know, was right there in our mission statement. And so uh, I think we began in 99 with serving pregnant women uh, who um, most people would say, you know, we're, we, very little are we on that cusp when they're trying to choose between uh, life and termination. Most, more than 99.9% .9 of the time, they have already crossed that. Um, very, very difficult thing most often, but um, they are most likely in their second or third trimester when they will call. And so all of our counseling to the women are, is free. And so we're walking alongside of them to... Um, really give them all their, you know, just what are the, the options between parenting and adoption. I mean, most often they will call and say, I'm thinking about making an adoption plan, and so we walk through both. Uh, we have several um, tools that we use for that. You know, we talk about what it looks like to parent, and we talk about what an adoption plan would look like. Um, so there are different types of that. In um, really early on, uh, we were asked to meet some people from Ukraine, um, and they uh, were had been over to Kiev and lots of street children, and just through um, a church connection, we were asked to train a young man named Ruslan Maluta, who was working in an orphanage there. Um, we have stayed connected with Ruslan all of these years. We, I did make a trip in 2004. We placed some children from Ukraine. Uh, we assisted with, um, there was a pretty large orphanage he was involved with at the time, and we helped to um, try to create a family model within there. And because there were so many children, they were um, bringing in foster parents, you know, those who felt called. And so Amazing Grace assisted with helping with um, building apartments. So it would just be the, uh, the mother and father within uh, that system. And they were parenting about 10 to 12 children, Stephen. But it was the model of family because obviously an orphanage is not the best place for children to grow. Um, and you know, they don't have that connection to a mom and dad. So that, that happened. And then... Oh, I don't remember what year, maybe 2007, uh, we went to Panama, and that was just, you know, we just, we walked through doors that God opens, and so my sister's lived in Panama for about 30 plus years, and I asked her about the orphan, she said, oh, we don't have any, then we went to church the next day, and they said, if you want to drop off the items for the orphanage, leave them, and I just sort of looked at her, you know, we can all live insulated, right, we probably don't even know that there are orphans you know, even around us. Uh, and then in 2008, we were led into Uganda, and that's really kind of where we've landed as far as our orphan care. Um, and I don't know how much you want me to say, but we um, just, you know, we were in one area serving, and we saw that uh, things just really weren't, um, there wasn't a lot of positive change there. Uh, we did place some children in the United States with families, uh, but there are... Um, I think probably 35 million 
uh, people in Uganda, and over half of the population is under 15 years old. And so, and that's largely due to the HIV AIDS crisis, the wars, and all of that. So that's a lot of children, and we're pretty small. So we said all of those children are not going to be able to come to the U.S. And so really it was just through a series of events and just me worrying my husband to death and having this thing that just wouldn't go away. You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And um, the Lord, I went to a conference. Um, some of you may have heard Christian Alliance for Orphans. And in their little, um, what are they called? You know, when they're booths, it's the, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so at the end of one row, there was a, a ministry represented, and I picked up the site plan, and it was um, the church and children's homes with families and then a school and medical care. And I carried that around because I felt like that's really the model that we, that we wanted if, we, if God was going to do it. And then in um, 2011, we met a pastor from southwest Uganda, and we, he asked us to come. He, he basically said, come and encourage us and we we did and Johnny and I were there one day and he said can you come out here on the property and he just started talking and he said God's told me that this this is what we should do and he starts really speaking my little site plan um, and so you know you just can't help but know that was you know the Lord already knew about all about that so now we have several homes Grace Homestead the pastor and his wife had already adopted and so we're basically now teaching the local churches through mm. the Bible school there, through Pastor George, uh, what it looks like for the church in Uganda to adopt, you know, those families, because it's a word that's not in their language. Um, you know, it's about land inheritance and that kind of thing. So they think, well, I can't take any more children because I need to leave them the land. And little by little, and now I think we're up to, I, I don't even know how many countries surrounding that pastors are coming in for training, and that is in the biblical curriculum that um, they're teaching. So it was, you know, I kept saying this is bigger than life, and that we can't do all of this, but the Lord knew we're just one little piece of that puzzle. And, you know, River Cross, they could come anytime and probably train because it's, mm. all, it's all connected. You know, these it children is, are yeah. traumatized, and, but um, we're just little, little by little. So well, I see that one ministry. One. I see that ministry as well as um, having kind of two halves to the house that yeah. is primarily a counseling ministry right. to birth mothers, right. but the natural outgrowth is then adoption. It is. And the numbers there are, we've probably served about 900 and plus women uh, here in North Carolina. Uh, we did open an office in Florida in 2015. So total, I think, you know, 950 women somehow. But really, we know that women... That's a hard thing. It's hard. It's it's very difficult. There's a lot of, uh, I think, cultural peer pressure to not place your baby mm -hmm. for adoption. You know, are you going to give your baby away? What kind of mother are you? And even those who do it honestly endure a lot of negativity even after they do it. So out of those 900 plus, uh, we've served close to, we have placed close to 200 children. That's terrific. So, I mean, so you can see the, you know, the, what, what do you call that? The uh, ratio. Thank you, Thomas. <laughs> and then internationally, we are Hague accredited, which is just like, I don't know, going to law school. It's really difficult. And we've now been Hague accredited three times. And we really, there came a time, I think 2014, that our president signed in the Universal Accreditation Act. 
which means that you cannot bring a child out of an international country unless you work with uh, a Hague accredited organization. And so um, we have that, and currently right now, um, it's funny, I was just thinking about Burundi the other day, uh, but we are just doing uh, home studies and post placements right now until the Lord shows us what else to do about that. Now, as you come alongside uh, birth mothers and counsel and comfort, does that ministry end at the birth of the child? No, it does not. Uh, you know, obviously there are some women that once they've made that plan, we may not hear from them again. Uh, we have many women that will not call us until they get to the hospital, which is so hard because there's about, you know, it's about that thick of the legal paperwork that has to be done. So I'm always feeling so sorry for her because she's just delivered. She has all those, mm. everything happening, and then she has to do that. And so oftentimes, you know, we, we won't hear from that, that client. But many women, uh, way back early on, we, had, we have a policy that our families are to send in pictures once a month for the first year. And I was at an event once, and I saw something about a little girl and her family, and she had been able to, um, her, her birth family had been able to see her grow through the years. And it was really after that that we changed it so that now families have to send in a report and pictures once a year. Uh, not all of our women receive that, but we still hear from women. Uh, we're, we were 20 years old this year. Um, so... The counseling goes on. If they desire it, we're going to meet with them and be wherever they want us to be. That's so, and we travel to all. I mean, we travel to almost all of them. They don't, you know, they don't come. You to go us. to them. Yes, we do. So that's yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. We mentioned opening service. the doors in '99, and mm -hmm. 20 years. So you had a, a an interesting function just last week. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, we, you know, we were really trying to figure out what we were going to do for our 20th, and we looked at all kinds of speakers, and honestly, a pregnancy counselor that had worked with us for about nine years happened to be in the office, and she mentioned that uh, an agency she knew in Georgia had brought in Bodie Balkum, and many of you may know who Bodie Balkum is, and I knew I'd heard his name, but I really just had this thing, I don't know, so we were Googling, and there was a little form I could fill out, and I filled it out, and, you know, it said he was on tour, and I really didn't know that I would hear from anyone. But lo and behold, I'm driving one day, and this man, he says, I'm calling from Vody Balka Ministries, and I said, well, I heard you're speaking at that event. Would you like to come to us? So it was really short. We didn't ha I feel like we didn't have a lot of time. I feel like he was so great that uh, we would love for the world to have heard it, but um, hopefully he's going to come back. Vody's story, did y'all know it? Have you heard of Vody Balkum? Uh, he's an African-American, uh, very tall, booming guy. He played um, at Rice University. Um, I don't know if you knew that, football, and then God called him into the ministry. And he is a pastor, and now he is a father of nine, two biological, and seven adopted. And his story's pretty... Right. I, I was there um, during that luncheon and, and while he spoke, and it was uh, just amazing to hear. I, I would love to hear him at any time, but especially to hear his story and then how he relates that to uh, the, the theological basis of it was biblically driven as to why he and his wife did that. Now, there was many things that um, he spoke about that is worthy of bringing up, but one thing that we have, I want to 
have a, a minute for is um, the point that he brought up that when they went to adopt, um, it, it was almost shocking to them and, and still is in some ways that adoption agencies don't have very many minority, that is African-American or other minority uh, adopting parents, families coming to their door. Um, do you have any ideas of what, what sort of numbers of minorities do you see uh, at your door? At our door? Um, I, would, I think in the history of the 20 years, we've had three families. Wow. Uh, you know, when we first launched the ministry, um, we, we said we would only have, we would have a small waiting list. And so we said no more than 25 because we really didn't want families to go through the home study process and wait, wait, wait. And all, every single family was Caucasian and they wanted a Caucasian child. So our first baby was um, biracial. And, you know, it's like, okay, what? And, it, and they kind of just kept coming. And uh, we certainly have placed Caucasian children, but um, my husband will tell you, I've been on my face saying, okay, I don't know where the family's coming from and I'm gonna have to bring them home. And um, actually, Thomas Ray's story is, is a great story about just um, how that came to be and how they became adoptive parents through us, but um, just very few. And so what happened with Bodie, they walked into the, to the agency and said, we want to adopt, and I think the girl almost fainted, and she went to get the director, and they, I mean, the girl didn't say anything, and he said, what's wrong, what did we say? And so she brings the director back and she says, tell her what you just told me. And he said, they only really put in one application and then after that they just kept calling them, which would be what we would do, uh, for real. You go back to we, the ones oh, you Yes, willing. I'm like, hey, are you, in fact, we have one family on our list right now. They've had one placement and I mean, and they'll have another placement. I mean, it, it, hmm. won't, they, it won't be long, right? Where is the, the rest? But the other thing I was going to say is God did a, a work in the church and there was an extreme paradigm shift about adoption of, um, you know, of Caucasian families adopting mm. children outside their race. And so honestly, uh, almost everyone on our list right now says any race. That is, I, I get cold chill. That's such a God thing. Wow. Didn't happen before. That, uh, that's, a, that's a major shift. Now, Stephen, before we hear your story, uh, I want to read a, a few lines from uh, an article by Joe Carter. He wrote for the, the Gospel Coalition. Uh, and the first part of that is a definition of, of orphan. He says, more inclusive definitions or, or broader scope definitions used by adoption and relief agencies tend to focus on a child who is deprived of parental care. And that could be in any number of ways. But then he goes on to, to talk about how UNICEF, which is an international organization, uh, they, they even uh, go further. You can have a single orphan or a double orphan depending on one or both parents having been deceased. Uh, so you, we can even see by framing the discussion, you have to define it, but even by defining, there are all sorts of different stories that can come about. And then he later in the article moves to uh, the foster system. His numbers are from 2017 in which he says 690,548 children were served by the U.S. foster care system that year. Less than 20% of children served by the foster care system in any given year are waiting to be adopted. 
The goal of the majority of children in the foster care system, that is 59%, is for them to be reunited with a parent, primary caretaker, or relative. The goal for more than one in four children, 27%, is adoption into a permanent home. Some of the numbers that I found just for Harnett County, I didn't look up Wake, so all I have is, is Harnett. Uh, and the numbers here are from October of 2015 to September of 2016. The number of children served in the Harnett County foster care system was 193. And of those 193, 119 remained in the program at the end of the year. Uh, 73 had, had graduated out through one form or another. Uh, of the 119, 68 were, uh, were placed with non-relative foster care in that year. 30 were placed in a relative home, a relative's uh, home. 13 and 4 were placed in an institution or home, a group home visit. And 0 in adoptive homes. So then I moved over to the 73 that had, one, in one form or another, graduated out of the foster care system. 39 were discharged for reunification, presumably with the, the primary parent or, or guardian. 26 were discharged for guardianship, and eight were discharged for emancipation, either they graduated out due to age or separation, legal separation from parenthood. And again, I looked at the line for discharged for adoption and you know what that number is? Zero. Um, all throughout the statistics, I kept looking for that line of adoption, and zero kept being the number that, that popped up, at least for, for that particular year. And the, the average length of a foster care stay for a child in a home is just over 13 months. So, um, Stephen, where do you fit in that story? Why in the world would you have gone through the trouble of going through all the home studies, going through the foster care system, and how is it that you ended up uh, adopting two beautiful little girls? Um, so, as you were reading that article, I remember reading it in one of our classes and remembering how frustrated I was by hearing those numbers. Um, and you think, in Harnett County alone, there's 193 kids three years ago that are in Harnett County. So population-wise, we are on track with major cities, like to put that in perspective. Hmm. Harnett County, with our few people that we have in our county, is on track with Baltimore. If you look at the statistics of people of saying, percentage-wise, in Baltimore, there's 600,000 people. They've got 6,000 kids in foster care system there. Like Harnett County, 100,000 kids. We have 200 kids in foster care system. So like we are not outside of that because of our numbers are low. Percentage-wise, we are tracking with the rest of America. Um, and what was the other part of the question? How is it that you came to, to foster and adopt? Yes. Uh, so um, all of it is my fault. Um, <laughs> So I asked, uh, I'll take full blame for it, um, and when I mean blame, I mean in every sense of it, and also, like, I asked for it. Hmm. Um, so for one year for uh, Father's Day, I was like, I want an application. 
Like, that's what I wanted for Father's Day. I didn't want anything else. I just wanted an application for the foster care system. That's the gift that keeps on giving. It sure is. And man, does it keep giving. Um, But the, Michelle's like, I don't know. I can't do this. Like, this is not, like, how am I going to love a kid, bring a kid into my home, love them as their mom, and then be able to allow them to go back. Um, And I will tell you, it is because God is big and bigger than we are. And, um, he knows what he's doing, and we have no idea. Um, that's how. Um, so we got into it. Uh, we went through the couple-month process. I don't remember how long it was. It's all blacked out now. Um, but you, you went through this whole training system. They train you, bring you in once a week for a couple months. Um, they would laugh at my responses because I always just gave them the gut response. I went <laughs> And, like, it was, like, you need to fill out these 100 questions before the next time you get to class. I'm, like, I have no time to fill out 100 questions. So you get the initial response that is given. Um, And for anyone who has talked to me, sometimes my gut response is not the best. Um, And I would also do the same thing in class. Uh, So there was lots of times I got elbowed in the side and chuckles from Marines who were in the group with me. They're, like, yeah, I'd do that, too. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, it was, so we went through the class, we got certified, waited six months, uh, and then we got our first phone call um, saying, we have a three-year-old little girl who needs a home, Uh, can you take her? And the answer was always yes. Um, Now, did they, do they force these situations on you, or is it always a question like that? It's always, it's always a question, Um, just like adoption, you can check a box, you can, Red, yellow, black, or white, whatever one you want, mm. you can check it. Um, ours was whatever you got, bring it on. Uh, boys, girls, sisters, didn't matter. Brothers, didn't matter. Um, and so we said, sure, let's do it. Uh, and we got into it, and she stayed with us for almost a year. And then she got reunified with her dad. Um, kind of. Um, she said, Awesome. Uh, it was a always good and not so with good the fostering them. system you kind of get the you get the good the bad and the ugly at mm. times um, the you get to see the dark side of child care um, not to discourage anyone but you get to see the dark side of things and you kind of get a little you can get a little shut down and hurt because of that um, but so she went to back with her dad and then we had um, I even brought a book so I wouldn't forget. Um, so if anyone wants to look at this book, this is all of our foster kids uh, that have come through our homes. Um, the one thing we didn't, I don't even know if this was part of the question, but one thing we didn't realize is what fostering actually does to your biological kids. Um, because you think as an adult, you're the one who is in charge, you're taking care of the kid. However, you forget that your child that is next to you mm-hmm. has a new sibling. That's a way, because that's what you're telling them as a parent. Hey, this is your sibling. Treat them like your sibling. Mm. And then when the sibling is taken away from them, to watch that is hard. Um, to watch that break in Nathan, Nathan, Nathan broke when Madison left. Mm. Um, it was really hard to watch. And then Reed, um, our youngest son, still talks about a sister, Morgan, for anyone who knows Morgan. Um, she would be seven or eight now. 
Um, he still talks about her and still will cry over her leaving. Um, and it was years ago. Um, so fast forward, we, got, we had Morgan, then we had Damien, um, and then we had Ford and Chase, and then we had Morgan come in, and then while we had Morgan, we had um, Emily and um, Destiny, no, Serenity, Serenity come in the uh, our home, and then uh, those two girls, one went to an aunt and uncle who rearranged their lives to take them, hmm. take her and Emily in, and Serenity went back with her mom. Most of our children went back with um, biological parents or grandparents or a family member, um, and not necessarily to a good situation. Um, and then, where was I? And then Chase came back from another, from being reunified with grandparents. He came back while his brother went to another place. Um, and then, regretfully, and as foster parents, sometimes you have to, the, they always tell you, you have to take care of your family first. Mm -hmm. And um, with adoption, it's final. You don't get to take back what's going on because of the situation, but in fostering, sometimes the best situation is what you have to do, is to say, I can't help and serve this child. They're, I am not a, a therapist, I can't help. Um, and that's the best way to help them, is to say, I can't do this. Um, and it's not that my faith is lacking or your faith is lacking, it's the fact that you're not God and you can't fix yeah. a broken heart or a broken soul. And so you have to say, God, please take them back. Um, Rosario Butterfield wrote uh, with uh, when a house, wait, the gospel, the gospel comes, comes to the house key. Yes. Uh, and she talks about her fostering and adoption and how she wanted more time with some of them, but yet had to realize that it was, God put them in your, in your life for that time and for that time for a reason. And you have to trust him for that. And so when I read that, I was like, okay, I got you. Um, and then we ended up broken. Oh, oh, Wesley. I forgot about Wesley. <laughs> Wesley, our last one. Wesley was our last little baby who we picked up from the hospital. Oh, wow. Who, in hindsight, was actually Madison's younger brother, our first adopted daughter. Our foster daughter was her brother. Um, we picked him up from the hospital and had him for a month. And mom used him at a get-out-of-jail free card. And um, we hope that this situation that he went back into, God has used it and worked in his life and worked in his mom's life. Um, and that you don't, but you don't know. Uh, you have to leave that in God's hands. And so uh, we were broken and we were hurt as a family. Um, but then we got a phone call on the day we told the fostering system we are done. I was like, I looked at the social worker across my kitchen table and I said, we are done. She goes, funny. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not joking. Like, I'm serious. We're done. She's like, ha. Huh. I got two girls who need a forever home. I was like, no. No, you don't. I don't believe you. She's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, well, do I get to make the terms? Because I'm, I'm, I'm done. Remember, I'm done. And she's like, okay, we'll see. I'm like, fine. So I call Michelle. I'm like, all right, Michelle, what do we do? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, me either. So we did a lot of praying. We talked to the boys, um, got them involved in it. We met the girls, and 
a month later, they moved into our house. Mm. Um, and seven months, uh, not eight months after that, they were adopted. And so they've been with us, and I'm thankful. I, I know some people are thinking to go through all that um, upheaval and emotional um, hardships that come with it, how is it that you have room in your heart, in your home to, to go through that, and what's the answer for, for your family? How is it that you're able to, to do that? Uh, his name is Christ mm-hmm. Jesus, um, and him alone, um, because each time a child left from our home, it hurt differently. Mm. Um, it hurt for either for what we were losing, but hopefully what for what they were gaining, um, or it hurt because we weren't able to help and serve in a way that was best for the child, or it left us broken seeing the dark side of the system um, and left us wounded in a way that only Christ can repair. Um, when, when Morgan left, I was devastated. Um, Grandma called me and was like, what do we need to do to make this not happen? I was like, don't talk to me right now. We can't, we can't talk those ways. Like that, and she was talking like illegal ways to make things happen. I was like, we can't talk that way. It is not happening. I cannot raise my children through glass. It will not be good for anybody. <laughs> don't talk that way. But it makes you go to places that you're not sure that you were ready to go to or knew you could go to. Um, and at the end of the day, all I have is Christ. And we stood here uh, about where Jason is on a Sunday morning out here, which is back third of the church. And the song, All I Have is Christ, Mm. was being sung and played. I just cried and cried and cried. Um, And then went out a week later and got a tattoo of an anchor because at the end of the day, my anchor is in Christ. And I I have all, at the end, that's all I've got. Um, And so it's true. God will never, ever give you anything you can't handle and can't bear through and it's what our calling our calling is to love the widows and orphans and to cherish them in ways that whether it's through providing a meal through an adoptive foster parent or uh, by babysitting those children or for being one of the ones who were there or doing respite care um, we're all called to serve in one way or another to love those around us. And I know without the church body, Michelle and I would not have been able to keep going for as long as we did. And, and you're saying when we serve like that, it's okay to step back for the healing of the family before then pressing forward. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, we, after we saw what happened with Nathan, with Madison, we, we were like, we have to take care of our family first and do what is best for what we know is going to be consistent. Um, With adoption, it's different. You change your mindset. They are now part of my consistent behavior. They are now part of my consistent family. So you change and you lock down and you you hunker down and you find out whatever resources you can to help that. But in the fostering situation, you have to say, we are here for now. They are here for now. We have brought them in. We have sheltered them. But at any point, we have to be able to say, okay? Because you can't stop that. You can't stop the system from working. Well, J.I. Packer once wrote, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. 
The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. So with that on our minds, what biblical passage or theological principle have you leaned on for purpose and guidance when caring for orphans? This is for any of you. Well, our mission state mission verse from the beginning was um, Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 that says, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. And Bodie Balcom brought up a real interesting point recently, just, um, I don't know if you were going to go there, but that's the verse um, that um, we're all, that's the prayer that we would all be a part of his family, and so it's, it's the visual model, I think, in the, in the States. Or around the world, actually. I think about Luke 9, 46 and 47. I'm going to paraphrase that Jesus just calls us to love the child in his name. And that the least of these is the greatest. And I think about children. (laughs) We're talking about children who are incapable of caring for themselves. They are completely vulnerable in any situation, be it globally, domestically, adopting, fostering. They are completely helpless. And if not the church to step in in Jesus' name and care for the least of these, then who? And I feel like that's just our greatest call. For me, it's the gospel. We are all sinners, and we all fall very short of his mercy and grace. And yet, our children are the same. They are little sinners. It's the only difference. They are shorter sinners. Um, they are smaller sinners, but yeah, bite, bite-sized sinners. Um, but man, they are in need of the gospel just as much as we are. And trying to teach and preach the gospel to our children, is that, that is what anchored, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure there are some listening who are thinking, I would love to foster or adopt or care in some, um, in some way, but I simply can't. Either I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm this or I'm that. Is it every Christian's duty to, to adopt? We can echo it. No. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I would say that it's not an age limit or a gender limit or a single mom limit. I've heard lots of ladies say, well, I'm so much older or I'm a single mom and I can't do that. But I, I would say lean into that if that's what God is calling you to and and beg for his discernment. If God is calling you to foster care or adoption, there's a purpose and there's a reason and he, he makes no mistakes. So there's not a there's not a checklist of what a, an ideal parent should look like. If God has called you to it, then I would say pursue it um, and pursue it wholeheartedly, following Him. Um, but it's not for everyone. <laughs> so if you're not feeling called to that, it is not an easy journey. There, like Donis was saying, there's a mountain of paperwork. We sent off our adoption paperwork. It literally weighed six pounds to send in the mail. It was a six-pound package of papers to send off. And it's been over three years of waiting for our child to be matched, which is full of heartache. And it's seeing children 
come and go that are going to places that you don't believe are the right fit for them, but it's out of your control and you trust in the Lord. So if those aren't things that you feel like God has called you to, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but if it's not an age requirement, it's not, it's not an anything requirement other than God. Also think, you know, adoption is, you know, that's, I guess, the biggie. But there's so much along the way in ministering to um, so many people down the, you know, um, hurting parents. I mean, they're trying, you know, they're overwhelmed. Uh, you can mentor them. Hmm. Um, someone finds out that their high school student is pregnant. Um, coming alongside that family, um, I would say that sometimes it's not easy for those young women to walk in a church. Um, you know, we whether we like it or not, we're made up of, you know, husbands, wives, and children and family. And so they are then sort of on that perimeter of the outside, and they don't feel accepted. And so I think it is just modeling Christ wherever you see. Um, and I'll just share just a brief little thing here is that I didn't grow up in the perfect family. Of course, I know all of you did. But, um, you know, you know, we, we looked like we were fine, but there were some very serious, difficult years. And had it not been for uh, women in the church or families in the church that, you know, stepped in and came alongside of, of, of us, you know, I have no idea where I would be. And so you just don't know. And it's like what Stephen and um, Michelle did. Uh, it's it's playing that role, you know. I can look back and thank the Lord for the pastor who knocked on my door and invited us to that church. Um, you know, for them, you know, when we called him and he came and offered us, you know, shelter. There's just so many things that you can do as a believer, and I think it's it's not far, you know, outside the door of what you can do. There are different roles. To there fulfill. are different roles, and it's or it's. Yes, people say, what can you do to help Amazing Grace? Like tonight when I leave here, I'm going to go to Walmart and buy a hospital bag for a girl who's due to deliver. You know, I was thinking today, I would really love to be able to call someone at the last minute. But right now, I just don't have someone I would feel good about doing that. But there's just so many ways that you can be involved. And it's not the big thing of fostering and adopting. Um, you know, I just think there's, it's, all, it's all of the above. Um, back to that TGC article, he quotes Jason Johnson of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, which you mentioned earlier, who says, Not everyone is called to do the same thing, but certainly if you are someone who claims to have been adopted by God, you are no doubt called to do something. This is a realistic expectation for us all, and a biblical one. Um, so I want to ask, because I have seen recently and also seen from friends who ask the question, well, Christians or pro-lifers or fill in the blank, those who identify as Christian and for life, you stop caring for the child and the mother at the moment of birth. You just want the baby born and then you stop caring. How do you answer that accusation, that criticism? I have to edit my head, hold on. <laughs> filter, filter. <laughs> I'll jump on my little soapbox. Um, I think 
the numbers speak for themselves, the numbers that you quoted earlier of, of zero adopted children. I think that that is a resounding zero in my mind. Um, we just said that not everyone is called to adopt, but everyone is called to do something. And I think that maybe the weight of fostering and adopting could be a lighter yoke if so many families were willing to do things like buy diapers and diaper bags and offer respite and just pray for families. Um, that yoke could feel a lot lighter for families that do feel called to do that, that may be hesitant because it is a lot. Um, the church is fully, is, is called to be fully involved in every aspect of it. Um, whether it's filling shoeboxes, teaching in children's ministry, to minister to those kids who have come through this church, who have experienced the gospel because of their service in the back. Um, it's a very way that people don't realize they're actually impacting those kids' lives because I didn't get much time to talk to them about Christ because we were dealing with other issues. But when they'd come to church on Sunday, they'd hear the gospel. And so being that way, any family who is like, hey, I got a baby showing up in my house in 30 minutes. I need a crib, car seat, diapers. And I'd have, in two hours, I went from zero baby materials to fully stocked and <laughs> fully prepared to go pick up a newborn. So there are plenty of ways that the church as a whole, whether they are called to a foster or called to adopt, can come alongside those who are. And Michelle and I have felt very supportive from Grace Community Church. So if you're planning on fostering and adopting, this is the place to do it right here, Grace Community <laughs> Church. Um, so we are, we are thankful for our family and the way that they've come alongside of us. So I think you were, to talk about the pro-life movement, I would say. Um, so 1973, abortion was legalized. And I think the body of Christ said, we have to do something. And so thus began, you know, the crisis pregnancy centers. And I think over the years, we've seen some of those change a little bit. Um, but, you know, and everyone has a role. But I think um, one thing I would say, it's, I don't know, when this was maybe 2005 or something, there was an article done by Focus on the Family called The Missing Piece. And what they were saying is that there is a missing piece when it comes to the pro-life movement. And that is that, um, you know, we're just, let's, let's have her give life. But beyond that, it did stop. It does stop. And that maybe she's not fully educated of her options. Then a few years later, um, the United States, really through the Medicaid program, said, okay, we're seeing all this money going for abortions and all this money going for, you know, the parenting, but why are there no adoptions? And so they did a survey and they went around and would um, poll all the medical clinics in the country. And really, women were not being given the third choice, adoption. They weren't educated in adoption. And so there was... Um, it was called infant uh, awareness, infant adoption awareness that went throughout the country. And I think for a season that helped that situation. Uh, so I think really that for me, it is not just life, but where is this child going to be in five years? You know, will there be someone there to go to a PTA meeting, to show up at a t-ball game? You know, it, that's a big deal. And you hear about kids talking about that, you know, I didn't have someone to come. 
you know, if you think about it in a classroom. And so I think we could do better to encourage the pro-life movement. And they're all my friends, and I love them, but just to really educate. And I had a center tell me recently, well, we know that all those children will end up in, foster, in, the, in the system. And the, I shuddered because, you know, I, I think that they, those kids deserve better. That's all. Well, Donna, so I'm going to start here again with you and just move down the line and ask each of you, in what particular ways is your ministry uh, facing difficulty and how can the church um, minister to, to you in the, in the ministry and your organization? And for Stephen, what difficulties are, are your family, is your family facing and how can the church come alongside you, but also maybe you and other families who are considering or going through the process. So, Donna, uh, about Amazing Grace, what difficulties are they facing and how can the church help? So this is our 20th year and I would say it's probably been our hardest. Uh, I think that's for several reasons. I think the internet in, in our country has, you know, it's a great thing. Um, it gets us to a lot of places, but what the internet has done is um, it's, a, it's a source resource for women on their mobile phones and they say I want to place my baby and they will just click a button and oftentimes they're finding uh, unethical unlicensed uh, entities across the United States and so we do know that babies are leaving our state with no regulation and no one knows there's no gatekeeper and that's our laws so one of the things that we need is for people to educate themselves on that and be a voice for our legislature to change our laws. Uh, we've been trying to do that for quite some time and I think it just needs to be more people speaking into it. Um, you know, girls call and say, I don't know where my baby is now, could you help me? Well, obviously I don't know how to help her because, so that's one thing I think um, with that, our, you know, our numbers of, have gone down this year. It's not about the numbers. Um, but obviously we do have great families who are waiting, uh, you know, to provide a home for, for a child. Um, we set our budget basically um, donations, mostly half and half donations and half would be um, adoption fees and that's home studies and those kinds of things. So we can always use more of all of it. Uh, right now we are down some staff. I would love some, some to be able to hire some staff and you know, just marketing so that women know that there is a right way to make an adoption plan. One where she will know where her child is, where she will be able to choose a family, and where she will be able to receive counseling both before and after placement. And I think, to me, some of it screams trafficking, and so I'm even more passionate about it um, in this season at 20 years than I was even at the beginning. So get educated and get involved. Right. Jessica, what, what is facing Rivercross, and how, how can the church come alongside you? I would say um, two major pieces. One is that we really strive to, with our trainings, to facilitate the local community so that we aren't constantly in those local villages and communities. So, as I stated earlier, the audio dramas that we currently have speak to English-speaking African nations. So, like, Zambia is our main focus, Zimbabwe, um, Uganda. 
So we want to train facilitators there, and what is hindering that currently is just things like lack of water. They're experiencing severe drought um, and lack of electricity. So things like your electricity being shut off for 12-hour periods during the day, and you don't know when that will take place. So it could be that you're holding your church service, and then the power goes down, and you know it won't be back up for another 12 hours. So just... Um, Praying for those people in those nations, we would love strong prayer warriors that the ministry can continue and grow and that children can be reached in the name of Jesus, um, regardless of our enemies' attempts to stop those ministries from moving forward. And more locally is the refugee population. We have a really large refugee population, especially in Wake County. I'm not sure of the numbers here. Um, but we've been training facilitators locally to speak to the children who've been traumatized by being removed from their homes and being a part of refugee camps for numerous years and the traumas that come with that and losing their identity and showing them that their identity is in Christ. So I just really encourage everyone to um, look at Acts and look how we all are of common mind and of common place that we are all children of God and that these refugees that are our neighbors um, could maybe be reached by you. Maybe that is your call is to just reach out and say, how can I help you? Come with me to church on Sunday. I would love to serve you in some capacity um, because they're willing to, to receive the help but are fearful. So I just have an open mind. And certainly these aren't the only two ministry options that are out there, but these are two great ministries that we can come alongside of in prayer and support. If you want to learn more about that, you can talk to them afterward or visit their, their websites, agadoptions.org and rivercrossglobal.org if you want to learn more about how you can get involved. Uh, Stephen, how, how can we help with difficulties in family and church right now? So the... The honest way to put it is, is once a foster kid, always a foster kid. Uh, once an adopted kid, always an adopted kid. That is where their identity started. Um, even if they've gone from the worst situation to the best situation, it is still a part of who they are. And it will show itself at really random and unopportune times as parenting. Um, it will show up when they're older. It will show up when you're having the best time as a family, and then all of a sudden you're like, what in the world just happened? <laughs> and you're sitting there going, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, let's deal with that. Triage, please, medic. Um, but there's, so for all of the, at least all of my experience is that my daughters, they are beautiful, healthy girls on the surface, but right below that, they are broken, scared children who think they know what to do, but have no idea how to do it. And I've always also said that you could take any of my foster kids, you could drop them in the middle of a city and they'd survive, but they would not thrive at all. Um, and so anyone, I, from my experience and my experience alone, the any support that you see helping to redirect and re 
focus them on Christ, refocusing on them, saying, hey, like, it is okay. The world is there to take care, well, not the world, like, the church body is, we're here to help correct, to redirect. It's okay. It's okay, because we as foster parents and adoptive parents need that help, because we're beating the same drum over and over and over again. And eventually, as a parent, you know, at the hundredth time of telling your child not to stick their fork in the socket, and they keep doing it, you're like, push it in farther so it knocks you out for five minutes. <laughs> um. <laughs> Teasing. Yeah. Sure. That was filtered. That was filtered. But um, I always get in trouble with Michelle saying, why do you keep telling them to do that? I'm like, well, eventually they're gonna not, they're gonna realize that I'm telling them to do it, and I don't want them to do it. So I'm just giving them permission. So one way or the other, um, they're gonna do it anyway. I might as well so give them permission. So you're an advocate for parental counseling as well as child yes, counseling. very much so. <laughs> like, no, like seriously. That's a nice, nice band, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it it can be lonely and dark at times um, because you feel isolated and alone um, because your children can put on a really good show for those around them. Um, and the parents are going, that is not a true statement of who that person is. And I love my daughters and would do anything for them, but they need Jesus just as much as everybody else. If there's a, a person here who um, has not gone through that process of either fostering or adopting, but want to encourage, want to listen want to ask questions, is there something you want to inform them as to how to ask questions or what questions don't even... Glad you brought that up. Yeah. Michelle and I are always open for dinner and lunch, especially out on Sundays. We're trying to find plans to do things. So we'd be more than happy to go out to lunch with you guys, um, talk to you, uh, share our stories, answer any questions. Um, you will get the filtered but unfiltered version. Um, <laughs> Filtered by Michelle. Filtered by Michelle, elbowed by Stephen. Um, <laughs> so it is, we would love to share our story. You can also go to the website that's listed there. Um, the social workers for Harnett County, the two that are there, um, they are wonderful, who train you and facilitate for you. Uh, there is zero pressure from them. Um, anyone who wants to go through the training is more than welcome to go to training. Um, but yeah, I would, if you're thinking about it, ask questions. Don't, don't let your questions stop you. Cool. Jessica, did you have anything to, to add? I was just going to say that if you're feeling, I just fully believe that God places things on your heart for a reason. And if God is filling you full of the idea of fostering or adopting, there's a purpose. And that you should just lean into that and pray through that. That there are people who've gone before you that want to walk with you and have come out on the other side and know how worthwhile it is. And it's not an easy journey, but it's a journey that's worth it because we are all adopted into the family of Christ um, and not perfect. And it's important to see all of these sweet children in the image of God and, and deserving of a family just as we've been deserved, you know, invited into family as well. Um, so I just encourage you that there are others that want to help you and want to walk alongside you. So don't be, don't be afraid. <laughs> it won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. Yeah, it will. Uh, so we do have a, a handful of resources if you wanted to uh, read more or maybe listen to some podcasts about it. Um, here's some articles, some books to check out. 
I will say those first two, Adopted for Life by Russell Moore and The Connected Child um, by Sunshine Purvis and Cross, are two that, uh, that we had to read as part of our process, and fantastic. Both of them are great, but for different reasons. Uh, Adopted for Life uh, approaches it more from a theological church perspective. This is who we are in Christ, and therefore this is what we ought to uh, do through that, and then the connected child was a little bit of a knock upside my head because it is much more practical, and uh, it was telling me that I did not have all the answers already <laughs> to being a parent. So it was uh, very much helpful once the placement occurred um, for us that uh, those things really took shape, uh, as well as those articles you see there. Uh, any others off the top of your head that you may want to recommend? Uh, just the Karen Purvis, she was, you know, a brilliant woman. She's um, passed away, but I think uh, there's a, an entire series called Empowered to Connect. In both fostering and international adoption, you know, you're, you are um, having to deal with all of the legalities and what the federal and state governments put before. You know, they, it's really not from a premise of attachment, and everyone needs early attachment and so you're that's hard and i think those will speak to how to be able to connect with children there are even uh, week-long things that uh, families can go to under the um, texas christian institute that's right. through the karen purpose so i would say don't even begin to think about it unless you have read all of that yeah. <laughs> I would direct people towards and, and Donna spoke to you this organization Christian Alliance for Orphans they are phenomenal and they have some really great free resources um, videos that you can watch of their conferences of the past that will speak to adoption and foster care as well so CAFO CAFO David did we have any uh, questions sent in or results from our polls did have a handful respond to considering uh, adoption and fostering it looked like that's great to see oh, six responses on that terrific well as we uh, close this evening I want you to uh, be aware that I believe it's November has been designated by someone at least that uh, November is adoption awareness month so these are things that we ought to be thinking about praying about and as we do let's look at some of these questions are there any changes coming to make adoption easier or harder in the U.S.? I'm not aware. Um, Donna, what about North Carolina specifically? You know, the, the thing that I spoke about, I just think from a private perspective, uh, seems to be somewhat harder now. We have a lot of families that call, and I think they just think there are a lot of children around to adopt. But the difference in a private agency and a foster or social services situation is women are voluntarily relinquishing their children for placement. And so if you have 100 women, only 1% of those 100 will place for adoption. So that makes it harder, and you may not have known, but that's a, it's miraculous, really. Um, you know, there's always the concern that the adoption tax credit will be taken away. So far, that has remained, and that helps a lot of families. Um, Thank you for bringing that up because I, I was going to say there are helps 
there's the, the tax credit, there are scholarships Lots of grants. out there. Mm -hmm. And um, Stephen, for, for here, for families within the Grace Community Church family, um, the, the church does specify a certain amount each year for families that are considering fostering and adoption to help with those financial needs. Uh, which I, I think we may have covered the second question, in what ways did or can the local church support those who are called to foster or adopt? Um, are there any other practical methods other than taking you out for dinner? <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> no, that was if you had questions. Questions, okay, all right. You can take my children if you want to support us. And respite care. Respite, respite care. Uh, which goes into could you cover the, yeah. cover the need for respite. What is that? Uh, respite care is when a child is in foster and adoption and the foster or adoption family is saying, I need a break. I need, I need a timeout. And in foster care, you get to call the timeout because they're not your kid. And so you're basically just as a, a, a holding place and a holding Person in the county's eyes, you are a holding center for that child that they don't have to care for at the current moment. Um, and so you can call anyone and say, in Harnett County, I know you can call anyone that you would trust your own children with to say, hey, will you watch my children? Mm. And someone being willing to say, yeah, sure, I'll watch your children. They uh, don't have to be licensed. Not in, not in Harnett County. Okay. In Wake County, they have to be. Um, but in Harnett County, they don't at the current moment. That may change, um, but the we've used respite care. I know of other families who have used respite care just because there was a family trip already planned. They couldn't bring the newborn on the trip, and so newborn stayed. What length them. of time are you talking about? It can be a day, a few hours. Few it days. could be a week. It could be as long as that respite care you're willing to provide that respite mm -hmm. care. Can be like simple things like the mom, the foster mom um, wants to go to the doctor, has a doctor's appointment, or needs to go to the dentist, or wants to go on a field trip with a child that's in school um, and just needs care for a few hours, or it's a pre-scheduled vacation. Maybe you travel for the holidays, so you go visit family out of town for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and you can't take that child out of state, um, and you need someone to care for them locally over that time. So just providing that for those families can make it a lot easier to make that choice for families that are considering foster care. Are there any other comments or insights uh, about the spectrum of caring for, for children that come from hard places? I will remind everyone that January is our next Grace Matters session, but be on the lookout before then because uh, we want to add content. So uh, if you're a podcast listener, we are trying to uh, formulate some podcasts, even one that will complement tonight's discussion. And I will wish you all tomorrow a happy Reformation Day. <laughs> and as we close, um, I'm going to ask Stephen if you wouldn't mind closing us in prayer. Father God, thank you that you know exactly what you're doing and that not one moment or one person is lost from your sight or care. I pray, Father, that you would continue to work in the lives uh, of the people here, of the people listening, of the pe men and women who are serving to love the children, to love the children here in, this North, in Harnett County, North Carolina, the United States, and abroad, Father. I pray that your hand would be upon them that they would feel your peace, their restoration, 
and your renewing spirit that just flows through you. I pray, Father, that you would be with us as we go from here, and just thank you for this opportunity. Just thank you and praise you. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Grace Matters, a ministry of Grace Community Church in Andrew, North Carolina. You can find more information at graceccnc.org and look for more supplemental podcasts featuring guests from Grace Matters.